Hello and welcome to Rockets Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Trade Coffee. I'm Simone de Rochefort, supervising video producer at Polygon, and I'm here today panicking, looking into my co-host's eyes for the first time <laughs> with Brianna Wu, executive director of Rebellion Pack, and Christina Warren, senior developer advocate at GitHub. How are we doing tonight? I'm feeling it. I'm excited. It's been a good week. It has been. Well, it's been a not for everyone, Brianna. There are some billionaires out there who are losing their shirts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna say it's, it, it's, it's been tough. look for look for a rocket episode for a rocket show. Like it's been a really good week because there's oh yeah, so many we're gonna be thriving. Scams. So today yes. we are gonna be talking about, of course. FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried, and what has been happening with that company uh, over, I guess, the the whole month of November, really, if we're being honest. Uh, We are also going to touch on Twitter later. And then for dessert, we have special guest Alanis King to talk about her book, Racing with Rich Energy. It's about a sponsorship scandal in the world of Formula One. uh, And you have no idea how psyched I am to talk to her. Uh, For our wonderful premium subscribers, our boosties, we're going to have Alanis on towards the end of the show. We are going to continue talking about cars. As you you all know, I hope by now, our own Brianna Wu adores cars um, and rarely gets a chance to pop the F off about cars. Uh, So we are giving her a chance today (laughs) to talk to a, a fellow car gal about cars it's gonna be so fun it's gonna be magical and and i have a feeling and not just because we may have pre-recorded the segment (laughs) i have a feeling it may go into something that is fun and exceptional it will be so thank you so much to everyone uh rocket boosties uh you get an ad-free version of the show and you get extra content like that and you can learn more about that at relay.fm slash membership all right let's get into it top of the show actually we have a shout out Ian Green and his son Sebastian. Christina, yes. you met fans at the EFF Awards. What what was that about? Okay, so I was at the EFF Awards last week after we recorded. So this was uh, last Thursday. So it was after the second day of GitHub Universe. And um, and I left GitHub Universe, went to that after party, and then went to the EFF Awards. Um, and it was great to see the people who were honored um, for stuff, including Kyle um, um, Weens from uh, iFixit for his work in Right to Repair and some other people doing like really important things. And um, uh, Ian and uh, and Sebastian were there and said that they had been listening to our podcast in the car on the way over, which is got to be the coolest and slash like weirdest, <laughs> most unexpected place I've ever met anybody who's ever listened to my voice. It must have been weird for them, too. <laughs> I, I bet it was, but it was fantastic. And so thank you so much for saying hello and for listening to Rocket. Like that was just really nice. And I hope you had a great yeah. time at the awards. All right, so let's talk about our top story of the day over the course of the month of November. The crypto exchange FTX has imploded and filed for bankruptcy with crypto wonderkin Sam Bankman-Fried resigning as CEO and dropping incredible interview tidbits in DMs on Twitter, which we will talk about. FTX was not just massive in the world of crypto. It was one of the crypto-related companies that was making strides into pop culture at large. Uh, Bankman-Fried had ties to Giselle Bündchen and Tom Brady. Uh, He was hosting events with Anthony Scaramucci. He was a huge donor to the Biden campaign and to other Democratic, uh, Democratic candidates. 
Uh, he, the FTX sponsored the Mercedes F1 team until just this week, making possibly two of my hats inaccurate. And I'm trying to figure out how to remove the logos. But then on the other hand, maybe now these are just collector items. Anyway, they ran an ad during the Super Bowl featuring Larry David. Um, so it was very much a company that had this veneer of legitimacy until just recently when it just all kind of fell apart in the most dramatic fashion possible. So what happened? Essentially, it was the victim of a well, victim of a uh, revelation and some financial warfare on the fact on the uh part of competing exchange finance. What happened is uh, Ian Allison published a leaked report on OpenDesk earlier this month saying uh, that a trading firm also started by Sam Bankman-Fried, Alameda Research, had billions of dollars worth of assets in FTT, which was FTX's digital token. So a lot of collateral that is as real as you believe. Huh. to be. If FTT had value, well, Alameda Research had over $14 billion in assets. But what if FTT didn't have value? Or what if, as the Wall Street Journal later reported, something like $10 billion in FTX customers' funds was allegedly, eh, eh, confirmedly, eh, used, being used to prop up Alameda Research? Um, and we're going to talk about that whole, uh, the details of that uh, as we get into it later. For now, basically what happened is everyone was like, oh my God, is this whole thing just like a shell of itself? Um, and customers started pulling their money out. Binance, the competitor, huge competitor, uh, said, said it was going to liquidate its FTT holdings, which would just devalue everything. Everyone was freaking out. Binance was like, hey, maybe we'll buy you. Then they were like, Haha, no, just kidding. Peace. No, we won't. Um, there's still, oh, and Sam Bankman Fried, Sam Bankman Fried's personal wealth of billions of dollars right. has been just wiped out. Um, and a hacker stole hundreds of millions of dollars out of the company as it was collapsing. Yes. There's so much going on. There's so many questions left unanswered. But there's this the is polycule like, of it all. This is a there's a polycule, and there's also definitely a book coming from the author of the big short, who, in <laughs> the most spectacular amazing. detail of this, has been so good. shadowing Bankman Freed oh, for six God, more months Lewis. or something, thank God. leading I didn't know that. to the most incredible tweet of all time, which was just <laughs> someone. I have to find it, but it's basically someone going, "Huh, the guy from the big short sure is hanging around me a lot recently. That's good, right?" <laughs> <laughs> He's no, uh, I, no. Uh, uh, can, can we just say, like, given uh, this, the fact that some of them we're going to talk about this, that some of the journalism around yeah. this has been, shall we say, questionable. Um, yeah. I feel incredibly, incredibly like lucky that the absolute best chronicler of all of this stuff and one of the best writers, period, is going to write a book about this. That is almost certain that is going to be optioned before it's even written because they announced the book. The book's not even done yet. And they announced the book is coming, which is great. It's probably already been optioned and it will almost certainly be nominated for an Oscar as uh, the the big short money ball and um, um, the blind side. And none work. of us are putting money against you on that one. No. Yeah. No. I, I was going to say, you, yeah, don't, don't, because you will lose that. that. But I'm, I'm just excited because we know it'll be good in, in addition so, to being like. As you can see by the fact that my summary just like fell apart towards the end, there's a lot to discuss here. Brianna, you have a you have a question. Well, I mean, I want to be honest. There are parts of this that I flat out don't understand. So you you had basically he thought he had liquidity there. 
he made some risky bets and then he was trading his own customers' money, making additional risky bets once he realized he didn't have the the amount of uh, liquidity that he thought he had. What specifically are the allegations? And more to the point, is someone going to go to jail? Like, is what he did illegal? I think that it, I think I think that it depends the the legality thing. Like, if it turns out, like in terms of the way that the the trading firm and uh, you know uh, Alameda Research and, and FTX, their association, I think that's where the legality stuff will come into play mm-hmm. because these should technically, even if they have common people in place, the way that that's supposed to work is it is that the funds have to be separate, the customer information has to be separate. You're not sharing things unless all that is disclosed. That was obviously not the case. And and the fact that in the interview with Vox, which I should go ahead and state, I don't believe anything this guy says. Mm-hmm. Like, right. I, mm-hmm. I think that we should take every statement he's made in any capacity with a grain of salt. And I'm not willing to say that anything he said in that interview is accurate or true because he strikes me very much as kind of like a, a, a Palmer Lucky type. It was like, you know, you know, somebody who, who was, who was a troll, but also at this point, God only knows what's going through his mind mentally and some other uh, stuff. So it's just, I, I don't believe it, but yeah, if I that is to be fair. believed, if that is to be believed, then it seems like they hadn't even set up a bank account when FTX started. And so they were, putting stuff in the Alameda research place and then just didn't realize that would absolutely be something that I mm-hmm. think you could go to jail for in, in terms of, uh, for, for, for various things. If they also were misrepresenting funds and making statements the way they have been, there's a lot of things. I think that there could be like uh, lots and lots of, of, uh, criminal culpability on, um, uh, in addition to obviously civil stuff, but I, I don't know, but there's, I think it depends on how deep all this goes. Cause I think the big question people want to know is like, and this is like a good one I have, which is like, how much of this was just like a complicated shell game from the beginning yeah. and how much of this was incompetence and, and, and it's, it's hard to tell the difference. Yeah. Do you want to talk, uh, let, let's talk briefly about like what the Vox interview is, since I feel like we'll be going back to it uh, a bit throughout this. So basically Kelsey Piper uh, at Vox had interviewed Friedman before and slid into his DMs as this was all going down saying like, hey, if you want to talk, here I am, not expecting anything. He, I guess, I'm making quotation marks in the, uh, you that you can see. Oh no, why am I describing what I'm doing? Um, he, someone, he says it was him, uh, talked to her at length in DMs going over his ethics question mark or lack thereof what he was thinking all of these details like oh we we specifically you know weren't gambling with the funds in ftx we were holding them in alameda and then alameda was gambling them like being very candid i will say with the caveat that i think you're correct chris like christina obviously we are we we have to take it with a huge grain of salt because it's an unprecedented move to just pop into a reporter's DMs on Twitter and spill about what is, as you said, probably going to be some kind of court case. Uh-oh, that's all, you know, written down. Like, any any lawyer would tell you, like, don't freaking do that. What are you doing? Right, um, so, right. Great salt. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Huge candidness. Strange, strange quotes. Um, very uh, rambling. Uh, uh, very also, ethically, also- like, divorced from reality. Also, he's now claiming that he didn't know that this conversation was going to be published and that I guess he thought he was talking with a friend. 
that opens up a whole other ethical thing. Unless you say off the record, like, look, she probably burned a source. I will be completely honest there. I don't mm-hmm. think it matters in this case. Like, you shouldn't be talking to anybody over DMs about this period if you're in his position. Even somebody who yeah. you think is your best friend, you should not be having any communications with don't them. Don't be you're, putting stuff in writing. Absolutely not. No, your lawyer would tell you, and I'm not a lawyer, but I've talked to enough lawyers. Your lawyer would tell you in a situation like this, you talk to no one. You talk to yeah. your lawyer and you have nothing in writing. You don't text a soul. You don't text your mother because, mm-hmm. you know, like all of this stuff would have been like uh, in a civil or criminal case. It's not as if they're not going to go through his DMs and stuff anyway, right? Like mm-hmm. all this stuff is going to be um, a part of discovery. So yeah, this is, uh, it, it's, it's, um, but the whole thing is kind of a mess where he kind of like his explanation for stuff just doesn't seem to make any sense. Um, and uh, that's you know, what I wanted to say about his, um, you know, his public statements on Twitter. It was so freaky because he's saying stuff like, well, this is, as I understand the the situation right now, maybe it's right. Maybe it's wrong. And I'm like, Talk to a lawyer. Like, I want the guy to go to jail. (laughs) I want him to go to jail. But I'm like, this is so obviously a bad decision. Don't put anything on Twitter that hasn't gone through. Like, go to a lawyer, have them write the tweet, and then take it to a second lawyer (laughs) for second opinion. Don't, like, write something like, what what was it? Like, W-H-A-T happened? Like, every single letter? Uh. Like, it was, it was like a, a 4chaner communicating, like, whoops, I lost billions of dollars. It was crazy. It, yeah. And he, he caps it off by saying, like, all right, what's next for me? I've got to raise $8 million or billion, is it? $8 billion in two weeks to cover investors in FTX. And that's not gonna happen um there there cannot be a part of him that believes that that's possible his like this is a person whose reputation was so good it was so it so legitimate especially for the world of crypto no one i mean we, we had this discussion with elon musk elon musk though like people are still willing to invest in him because he is known to them he is compelling in certain ways mm-hmm. is it possible for sam bankman free to bank on whatever broken destroyed reputation he had or has and raise money to salvage this because i don't think it is and i don't think he no. actually believes that it is nope. no it's absolutely not nope. it, before the 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 binance thing which is what took this all down before yeah. that happened i do think that if binance hadn't come out uh, and and kind of basically made like the the questionable claims about the liquidity, um, or not about the liquidity, about the uh, what what's the other term? The um uh, um yeah, I guess I I, I get no yeah about the liquidity yeah um, of the assets. I think uh I think that they I think that he probably could have pulled it off. I think mm-hmm. that he was in um a, a a crunch um but we didn't realize that like he like he thought it was like I, I had the assets but I just don't have access to them right now, right? So that's mm-hmm. the liquidity thing. There's another term that, that he was actually in, um, solvency, I guess. Um, uh, so it, it, when we thought it was just a liquidity crunch before that stuff went uh, viral and then there was the run on the bank, I do think that if he'd gotten in front of it ahead of time, I do think he probably could have raised enough money to, yeah. if not, I don't think it would have solved the situation because this is a Ponzi scheme, clearly. But <laughs> I think that he would have been able to, I'm not even going to say allegedly here because- genuinely this is a ponzi scheme sue me i don't care um 
I think it, the, he could have gone Members, we need you more than ever. <laughs> we do, but also this is my opinion, and, and I will say definitively in my opinion, this is an obvious, obvious Ponzi scheme. Yeah. He could have gotten ahead of it to continue on the Ponzi, right? Like, I think that he would have been able to continue to perpetuate it. And, and it might not have collapsed for another period of time. Similar to like Bernie Madoff, there were many instances where his stuff didn't fall apart. Madoff, again, mm-hmm. it's interesting how these things happen. Usually what happens when these things fall is when there's some sort of other crisis, right? So what had happened is the ongoing crypto crisis where he had continued to bail companies out and, and bail these crypto firms out and take on more funds. That then ended up kind of hurting his bottom line and his ability to from what we think, and we, we still don't know how this all worked to kind of move around the different shell games of systems to make the money appear. That obviously, people have clearly known about this though for a long time. So no matter how nice of a guy this guy it you know has claimed to have been in his sterling reputation, whatever that means, the fact that the Binance guy, you know, clearly had his number and was kind of waiting to to pounce on him shows, mm-hmm. in my opinion, that way more people had some awareness about this. Um, probably not investors, probably not institutional people, but definitely people I think had to have had an inkling, right? It wasn't just the Binance guy. So then we see that happen. I think that if that hadn't happened and and if the Binance deal then hadn't fallen through, because I, I think when Binance made that deal, I don't think that he had any clue how bad it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think that if he thought that he was going to potentially collapse the whole thing, I'll be honest, I don't know if he would have done it because this could take Binance down too. We don't know how exposed they are to a bunch of other things. So honestly, that would have like, been fun, like two, like Godzilla fighting Mothra. It could still happen. Honestly, it could still happen. We haven't seen the full fallout yet because we still don't even know what the liabilities are. Right? It's between ten yeah. and fifty billion. If it's if it's on the upside of that, it would be one of the biggest fraud cases in history. Okay, so we don't know how many people are exposed to them, this. We genuinely don't know, and it doesn't seem like they kept very good records. So this is a mess. But I do think that he would have totally been able to use that reputation to get ahead of this. Do I still think it would have collapsed? Yes. But I don't think that it would have happened. He could have um, eked it out for a little bit I th- longer. I think so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So can I ask a, a deeply cynical question? And I, uh, ugh, I, hope th- I, I hope this is okay. I'm talking to Christina. She's a fellow cynic. So, um you know, this is kind of how I feel at this point. Like the stock market is obviously in tumble. It's been a terrible, terrible year for crypto. Wall Street Journal has had a million stories about this. When I read about this happening and the lack of safeguards that allowed this to happen in this kind of very porous firewall between these two companies, I'm not shocked. <laughs> I'm not shocked because it's 2022 and I think all of us kind of understand the standards and guardrails around crypto and and the standards this industry seems to hold itself to. I think it's kind of a fair statement that the most defining feature of the crypto market is scams. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. So so my question (laughs) is, Look, I understand there are Super Bowl ads and you're recruiting people out there. I understand there are politicians of my own party. They're going out there promoting this stuff and they should Mm. be ashamed of themselves. Sure. But to a certain extent, is this on the buyer at this point? Because I think- Some of it is, yes. I, I do. I have personal empathy, but I think at this point- 
if you're in crypto in any regard whatsoever, like there's a reason I cashed out. What was it, a year ago? Right. Like, yeah. like, no, isn't I, this I, on you? Like, to uh, a certain okay, extent? Uh, so, okay. I, I, I will, I, I will say that with a caveat. I yes. do think at this point, yes. I think that at this point is it a risk thing. I will say, especially at this point, and I will say, I actually, I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to say this on the pod, mm. period. I was thinking about this earlier. And I don't want to say this. And I want to say this clearly. We do not give financial advice. We are not financial advisors, any of that. But I'm going to give some advice here. If you have any cryptocurrency of any type on any exchange, whether it's Coinbase or Binance or anything else, remove it. And yeah. put it in a wallet that you control. There's a phrase known as like, you know, um, like, uh, you know, uh, not your keys, not your coins. And that means basically if you don't control your keys, you don't control your coins. So that is absolutely mm-hmm. accurate. These That's things good. are not backed uh, by, by securities the same way that a bank is. Um, I think Coinbase has a little uh, uh, more, um, uh, you know, they're a little more, I guess, legit in some ways than some of the others. But even with Coinbase, like whether it's Coinbase or Robinhood or any of those things, if you have stuff there, especially if it's money that if it went away tomorrow, you would not be able to recover from. I'm not saying to get out of crypto. I'm not I'm not going to make any advice one way or another on that. I, I, I don't that that's not my place to do it. And I, I'm not going to. But I am going to say that if you have any sort of assets, you know, uh, however we want to define them tied up on any exchange remove it and and put it in something that you control. Figure out how to use um, a a crypto wallet because at this point, when we see the number two exchange go down, Mm -hmm. that is a massive amount of money. I mean, they were handling, you know, $10 billion in transactions a day is what he's claiming. And and that doesn't seem unreasonable. That is a massive amount of exposure that we haven't seen. This is is very similar to the 20s, literally. This is similar to the bank runs then. Fortunately, it's on a much smaller scale, um, given the the much greater amount of money we have in the ecosystem. But yes, at this point, I do think that if you're seeing this happen, like right now, like I'm not going to blame anybody who got caught up in the FTX thing. I'm honestly not, because sure. even though the 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 I think crypto, so some of the other coins that have fallen and that have been associated, I will absolutely say, you know what, you really need to have your head on straight. This is one that surprised even me. Not that I thought he was a good guy. I always thought I was like. I was always suspect because anybody who dressed like he dressed and kind of looked like he looked and clearly didn't shower and would like have like professional press photos taken, I'm like, all right, I, I, I'm I, personally going to like have questions. That's just me. Maybe that's an unfair judgment to make. I don't care. That, that's my personal thing. But so not, something about him never struck me as right. But I still never expected this to happen, right? Like this sort of collapse this quickly, absolutely very reminiscent of 2008 when we saw, you know, the the, the mortgage um, collapse. Except nobody has any sort of protection, right? So, yeah. so this is a situation where I'm not going to blame anybody for getting caught up in this, but I will say, if you have any money anywhere else, you absolutely need to protect yourself because I think you're right. The underlying thing of crypto is scams. It didn't have to be, but that's what it is. And yeah. and I, I just make one more comment and then we'll move on. I'm sorry, but. This is just, I think, interesting. The whole reason I got into crypto to begin with, the whole reason I ever wrote about it, I mean, I, I, I was aware of Bitcoin, I think, fairly early on, and I knew about its, you know, the mathematical nature and kind of what people could do with it, but it didn't interest me. The reason I got interested was because there was a guy on BitcoinTalk.com or something, BitcoinTalk.net, one of those things, who his username was Pirate at 40 and he <laughs> had a Bitcoin late, um, savings and loan. 
And he had a Ponzi scheme and people lost millions of dollars. Oh, and this was in 2011 or 2012. Whoa. And me, oh someone God. who was a lifelong fan of Ponzi schemes and financial scams, was just fascinated that people would trust this and would give into this. And that was what got me into writing my first explainer on crypto, on Bitcoin, and on following this stuff. So scams genuinely is the only reason like I've been part of like following this space for 10 years. So I what does, does that say? make me wonder? I mean, not that like, uh, I mean, talking about scams obviously doesn't legitimize crypto, but we do continue to give these stories <laughs> attention because um, they're fascinating. I don't think because it's on because us, but they are, you're right, they are fascinating. It's not on us. It's not on us at all. I mean, we we're not yeah. telling anybody to do it. We're saying this is a real we're saying phenomenon don't. that's happening. <laughs> well, we we have been saying don't. Yeah. We're also saying this is a real phenomenon that's happening. Like you're watching yeah, the world yeah. go go nuts, yeah. I, right? I think we've been very fair and open minded on crypto over the years because we've been doing the show for a long time. When it came out, I, I know for a fact I said on this show. I think there's an argument for like cryptocurrency being a certain portion of someone's portfolio. I think there's a, an sure. argument for with uh, you know currency instability, this being something that people can choose to opt into. I think that is a measured, fair statement. And but you wouldn't I be wrong. You wouldn't be wrong because even now, if you yeah. looked at your returns over time, you'd be sure. up you know, if you'd gone in. But yeah. there There's an argument for that. But I, I think... What I would say is like we were very open-minded with VR in the beginning, and then it became more apparent what VR was. And I think all of us today would agree, like this is not going to be the future of computing, right? And I think similarly, if you're in Bitcoin, don't put all of your retirement in Bitcoin. Understand this is a certain extremely high-risk portion of your portfolio. It could be wildly successful, but you need to understand the predominant thing that cryptocurrency has is scams. So, you know, don't put anything there that you cannot lose. All right. Well, we'll certainly be continuing to follow this. Do you want to say something about the polycule before I talk about trade coffee? I don't think we've all talked enough about how what a terrible like looking polycule it is and that it just seems like the world's worst polycule, which makes it that much funnier. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Maybe that could be next week's bonus segment. I think it should be. I think we should rank the only reason it's not this week's is because we have a wonderful, mature, level headed, positive, light bringing guest. It's actually uh, like it's, uh, <laughs> our, 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 our bonus this week is actually something that will make your life better and it and is yeah. affirming. And your bonus next week is going to be something that will make you as a person worse. This <laughs> episode of Rocket is brought to you by Trade <laughs> Coffee. If you've been getting your coffee from the grocery store and drinking the same coffee every day, guess what? It's time to time to try something better with Trade Coffee. It is so easy to get fresh roasts delivered to your doorstep from local roasters around the country with Trade. Trade Coffee is a coffee subscription service that makes it so simple for you to order new coffees and make your best cup of coffee at home every day. Trade partners with the nation's top-rated independent roasters to send you coffee that they know you'll love fresh to your home and on your preferred schedule. 
What's happening right now is that Brianna and Christina are seeing me on video do an ad read for the first time. <laughs> You've got a whole process. It's very, you're a physical it's, actress. It's amazing. I am uh, because I feel strongly whether you already know what you like or whether you're new to specialty coffees and need some help along the way. Trade makes it easy and convenient to discover new coffees. I had one that I really, really liked a couple weeks ago. Uh, this was the West Pole Dark Roast from Cuvée. The adjectives associated are comforting and rich. Uh, I oh, It was so delicious. This was another one of the ones where like the smell permeated my lobby once I opened the mailbox. Um, and I, what I really love about this is that I do get the same coffee from the grocery store. And currently my system is like, I get my same coffee. And then once a month, I get this amazing, vibrant smelling package from trade. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's here. Finally, <laughs> it's here <laughs> to fill the holes in my life. Um, and I chose that month long schedule because I was like, I want that to be a treat. You choose your schedule. You want it weekly. You want it freaking bi-monthly. And you decide whether that means every other month or twice a month because nobody knows what it means. But you decide what it means with trade. Trade Coffee is the perfect gift for loved ones. They make it easy with their digital gifting options for last-minute shoppers or their coffee and equipment bundles for something under the tree. <gasps> Treat yourself or the coffee lover in your life with Trade Coffee. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off a subscription and access to limited-time holiday specials at drinktrade.com rocket. That's drinktrade.com slash rocket, D-R-I-N-K-T-R-A-D-E dot com slash rocket for $30 off. Drinktrade.com slash rocket. Our thanks to Trade Coffee for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Don't tell the other sponsors that they're my favorite. Can I say that? <laughs> I'll put a timestamp in just in case. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Are you ready to talk about freaking Twitter again? Can can I talk? Can I share the story of my best day ever? Something huge happened to you this week. Tell us how you saved Twitter. <laughs> yes, Twitter. please. Yes, please tell us. Okay. So I'm at the uh electromagnetic pinball uh museum last night, and my phone starts blowing up just blowing up and I look at it and I'm like, okay, let's see what's going on. And I see that a tweet I made has been added to a bird watch of Elon Musk fact-checking Elon Musk on his own site. You're speaking truth to power on Elon Musk's Twitter. It was so great. It was so great. So long story short, uh, forgive me, it's late. I may be misquoting some of this, but this is the gist of it. Uh, Elon Musk puts out this tweet saying, apologies to people in other other countries if Twitter is running slowly. Uh, It turns out (laughs) you have to uh, have a thousand poorly bashed RPCs just to generate a a timeline yeah look at this and i'm like that doesn't make any sense what that's all got to be happening like on the server side like he's talking about client side rendering that doesn't make any sense and i start looking deeper into it and i'm just like well this is 
So, uh, so I put out a series of tweets uh, just like basically deconstructing it. And then additionally, as the story developed, more and more Twitter people like chime in, people that actually work on the servers. There was a woman that actually worked on the API team. And she's like, did Elon say something sassy about our batching? <laughs> like, does he not understand how GraphQL works? And the story basically came together to... Uh, the long and short of it is the batching is fine uh, because they use GraphQL and it's a it's it's not a very heavy query, uh, but the, the this just goes on and on and on. Actually, what happened this week is later Elon went and found all the Twitter employees that participated in that beatdown and fired every single one of them. Didn't matter if they they criticized him publicly. Didn't matter if they criticized him privately on Slack. They're gone. They criticized their leader. They're gone. And then the the ultimate part of this is he was thanked with his own fact-checking function to prevent the spread of disinformation. And I got to participate in that. So yes, best day of my life. Beautiful. As you have alluded to, there have been more exits at Twitter. <laughs> As of recording, Elon Musk has given Twitter employees a deadline of 5 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday to decide if they want to work for him. Those who do not share his vision have been asked to leave their jobs. Three months of severance? Not bad. Not bad. Um, but the chaos basically continues at Twitter with firings, resignations, changes to the product. Um, and as you alluded to, like, People were fired this week for criticizing him. Um, and on Twitter itself, chaos reigns. And some of the best jokes of our time are being made because on and off, I, to this moment, I'm not clear on whether it is possible to do this because it keeps being turned on and off. Twitter blue, which now gives you a, access to a blue check mark, is being used to impersonate people. Who could have seen this coming? Uh, the specific story I want to just touch on briefly, and it's been, it's been a long show, so we'll just romp right through it, is that Gregory A. Fowler uh, wrote about this at the Washington Post. He reached Jeffrey. out to Blair Erskine. Oh, is it Jeffrey? Did yeah. I write Gregory for no you did. reason? You did. And that's I met incredible. Him, and I met him at the EFF Awards, so that's why I Jeffrey. felt like I had, I, I had to I, I had literally to looked at the article and wrote the word Gregory instead of Jeffrey. That's bonkers. <laughs> Fowler um, reached out to Blair Erskine and Senator Ed Markey to set up Twitter Blue accounts impersonating them, basically saying like, hey, I want can I impersonate you on Twitter? I, I want to try. I want to see something. And they were both like, yeah, go off. Um, he was completely able to do so, uh, created verified, verified on Twitter blue accounts, uh, and mucked around a bit, eventually did get banned. Um, but both with completely like fake URLs, I believe one was real Ed Markey. The other was Blair Erskine with an I replacing the L capital I replacing the L. But the fascinating part about this is that Senator Markey then tweeted about it saying like, Hey, Elon. I'm being parodied on your very own Twitter. And Elon, instead Laughed. of responding to this, responded and said, yeah, your account sounds like a parody. Ha! And Senator Markey, who I will note, runs the is on the Senate Commerce Committee and is a known big tech watchdog, was like, oh, really? Sounds like Congress could run you. Sounds like government needs to step in and run your company better than you are. Um, so he he's very much in a position to further scrutinize not just Twitter, but Tesla. 
um, and has called for doing so in the past. So this level of incompetence is incredible. And now uh, outlets are reporting that Elon, Elon, you know, a mere two weeks, how long has it been? Feels like years after stepping in as Twitter CEO is, as expected, like looking for somebody to run it for him because this isn't really what he signed up for. Like he just wants to muck around and have fun. And now he has to run this freaking company and he's not going to want to do that forever. I don't know. What do y'all think about uh, this week's Twitter shenanigans? I, I just like to aside, like, it feels like he's been here forever. <laughs> it does. It feels like the Trump administration. Like, it's just been so long. It's terrible. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it's it's hell. Um, I don't, I, Christian, I'll let you talk, but I just yeah. want to say, like, a company can't survive like this. If you no. can't criticize the leader and say what you think, this is how we got Theranos. It's it's the exact same playbook. So mm-hmm. um, I, I don't have confidence. I'm currently still at GitHub Universe because I'm unable to change my Twitter um, <laughs> display name. Ha ha ha. Which uh, Elon promises uh, will change maybe by the end of the week, according to people's tweet replies. Now Twitter Blue is going to be relaunched on the 29th. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. see. Um, no, I mean, so I knew some of the people who, uh, were like laid off, but for like, uh, you know, uh, criticizing him. I think it's so dumb. Also, the thing is, is that he was making, this is what makes it worse, right? Like the, the Android engineer who I think was actually pretty tasteful, his product and his whole thing was being criticized. And then Elon was misrepresenting what a, a remote procedure call is and and was also like misrepresenting how these things work. And so by simply doing a technical explanation, which also included some insight into why things were a certain way and things they could do to improve, you know, the guy is fired. Um, some of the other employees like, look, I'm somebody who as much as and this might surprise some, some listeners, given my own like behavior on Twitter and whatnot, but I actually have always taken a, a pretty strong stance where I do not. Um, uh, criticize my employer or my coworkers on like on main, like I don't do that publicly yeah. Um, yeah. as kind of a rule. Um, if there is something that is bad enough that I think needs to be called out, and there have been a couple of instances, and it's been very few that that happens, that's one thing. But in general, I don't do that. I think that there are other channels to do it. And I'm not even opposed to if you have as part of your company policy being like, you know what, on Twitter, since we work at Twitter, don't like air dirty laundry. A, yeah. that was not part of the company policy. B, as you said, the only way that companies can grow in the whole policy, the whole edict of Twitter up until now, whether people should have expected this to change or not, and I'm sure they did, but whether they expected, I'm sure they didn't expect Elon to be such a little baby to literally start searching like Slack messages and DMs and stuff for everybody yeah. talking poorly about him. That's just like, that's just obsessed it's and sad. bizarre and like a petty on a completely like deranged level, like you cannot get good people to work for you if you have such a toxic environment. And regardless of what's happening in big tech right now with layoffs, you know, Meta had unfortunately um, layoffs this week, Amazon or last week, I guess we should say um, Amazon uh, is, is going to be cutting 10,000 uh, jobs um, uh, that are that are not and we're not talking about like the the warehouse workers. We're talking about like actual corporate jobs like this is not, a, you know, stripe lay people off. This is not a good time at all right now. You still can't get people. People are still are not going to want to work for you if you make the environment so toxic and we're m- merely criticizing or even sharing someone else's critique is going yeah. to get you fired like that's. 
I, I don't understand how he thinks he can get best and brightest. And, and that's not to say like that, that Twitter was necessarily the best and brightest. I don't know. I know they had a lot of smart people working for them. I don't, I'm not going to like try to claim that it was like the, the, the greatest engineers ever because whatever it is, is all downhill from here because it's not a stable place to work. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So it was like, even no matter like what you had, you're not going to get anything better in my opinion than what you had before acting the way you're acting. Uh, Because the number of people who are willing to put up with his sort of, you know, BS um, genuinely like either they already work for him or like they have other things that they can do. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It's also it, like he's he's also notoriously cheap. So, so I'm wondering uh, before as we wrap this up, uh, how do we? What do we think is going to happen with this ultimatum that's coming up on on Thursday, which the day this podcast will release? I think it'll. We're recording this on Wednesday, so we don't know if you're listening to this on Friday. Sorry, because um, I, I I if I worked there. I would probably just want to keep my job, to be honest. However, if I had other options, I would very much consider just booking it with three months of severance because it's it, it 100%. Seems what we're hearing is like him changing his mind constantly, people not being able to deliver the products that they want to deliver uh, in their best condition. Um, and it just doesn't sound like a very healthy place to work. This like no. back and forth over like now you're suddenly required to come into the office. Right. Well, not, not, not only that, like, like child care like, guys, bye. <laughs> right. Not, not only that, but managers now sometimes have 70 direct reports. Um, I'm, oh, I'm all for, cool. I'm, I'm, oh I'm all, for, I'm all for flattening the structure. I'm all for getting rid of some bureaucracy, but 70 direct reports is insane. And you can't manage that way. No, he also, no. in addition, he wants to flatten things, but he still wants everyone to go through him. So he's micromanaging and flattening at the same time, which does not work. So yeah, I'm with you. I, the people I feel for the most genuinely, and I, and I, um, I might've mentioned this on, on, on Twitter, but I'm, I'm going to say it now. The people I really feel for are people who are here because they're on H-1BVs and are not yeah. in a position at all to quit. Um, and I mean, they can be looking, but they are not in a position to leave. This goes for, you know, universally, but especially right now uh, because of things the Trump administration did, which have not been rolled back, which makes things very, very difficult for them. Even pre-Trump administration, you only had a certain amount of time. What people don't realize is that if you get laid off, you know, an H-1BV or if you want to get another job you have to find a role with the exact same title even oh, within God. the company so so it, it so like if you go from Ooh. being like a product manager to being a software engineer okay your role functionally might be similar and maybe you're doing some of the same things the visa system considers them different jobs oh my god and, and so terrible. so so the pe- people don't it, it's a nightmare so those people i i feel for but anybody else i agree with you simone like i would very much as bad as things are right now consider taking the severance and looking because the longer yeah. you stay, the more you're going to be associated with what this is becoming. Yeah, I think that's fair. The only caveat I would say is ordinarily, it's like, look, you're a software engineer, you can get a job anywhere, right? But we are in a period well, of yes a and lot no. of layoffs. Well, well yeah. yes and no, but even putting the layoffs aside, sure. and this is this is the one thing that I want to have a caveat, and this is, I think, why this matters a little bit. This isn't just software engineers. These are people who were amongst the highest paid in yep. the highest paid tier, okay? Because if you work at the big tech companies, your salary and your benefits are very different than what you would if you were just a normal software engineer. And Twitter paid more than a lot of other places. So if you, for instance, had a mortgage, which you got like when the interest rates were good and when prices yeah. were good and, and you got like yourself into things and have like 
obligation set up, like I, I do understand people's fear, right? Sure. Um, for, for sure. So, but you're right. I think that you definitely do have a lot more options. It's just what a lot of people are facing and struggling with in tech right now. And I know this because I work in the area of, of big tech companies and I, and I know the fear people have, which is I can get another job, but it's not going to pay me what I was making before. That's, that's exactly my point. Yeah, yeah that's exactly thought. what I'm saying because it's, I mean, meta, you know, it's, it's just, we're having a lot of layoffs right now. So trying yeah. to get something comparable. I, I remember when my husband was laid off from biotech uh, with the last crash. And uh, when he went to his current employer, it was amidst a ton of uh, layoffs in biotech. It was the exact same situation. He was very lucky to like get a top tier job, but he was competing in a way that if he left right now, he just wouldn't. So that would be my only caveat. But I just really want to stress what you're talking about, the people over here on visas. Like if you're getting someone in that situation in the midst of like extreme turmoil and you're putting them in a situation where it's like, look, you've got to like really go into extreme work mode or you're 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 gone. I, I just, ugh, that's got some. It ain't good. Ugh, looks bad. All right. Well, let's move on to a happier topic. Yay. Yay. It is time for our dessert segment today. And I'm very excited to say that we have a special guest. And that is Alanis King, car and motorsport journalist, currently an editor at Business Insider. But you can read her work in many places, such as Jalopnik, Road and Track, and The Drive. You can hear her on the Donut Racing Show from Donut Media with... Elizabeth Blackstock, who is unfortunately not with us today, uh, also a senior editor at Jalopnik, but together, wow, they are a Voltron of writers. They are the co-authors of Racing with Rich Energy, How a Rogue Sponsor Took Formula One for a Ride, uh, an incredible book that is available now detailing the story of one of the more recent bizarre sponsor scandals in Formula One. Alanis, welcome to the show. That is just like the nicest introduction I think I've ever gotten. And I'm just kind of like, I'm trying to process it. Hi, I'm here. Thank you so much for that. I am so Thank psyched you. to have you here. I read your work every single day. And it's oh like, God. oh, she put out a new one. Like, I feel I feel like a stalker on Twitter sometimes because I'm such a fangirl. I love oh, my goodness. This makes me so happy. Thank you all for having me. I adore y'all. Y'all are great. I'm so happy to be here. Yay. So I'm going to try to summarize just as quickly as possible why the story that you've covered, you originally covered it at Jalopnik, if I'm correct, and then in yes. your book, why this is fascinating to us here at Rocket. We love several things here. We love um, shady rich people whose yes. money Damn. is of strange and questionable origins, <laughs> uh, running companies that may or may not be scams with product mm -hmm. that may or may not exist. Yeah. <laughs> um, being loud and uh, <laughs> impossible online and burning out in huge dramatic fashion. So would you say, like, how many of those beats would you say this story hits? All of them. Yes, all of them. Every single one. I mean, when this first happened in 2018, this was announced. So Rich Energy became the title sponsor of the Haas Formula One team. And Formula One is, of course, pretty much the highest level of motorsport. And so... Everyone was really confused because this team operates on a budget of about 100 million pounds a year, 
And Rich Energy is a company that if you look at its bank statements in 2017, it had $700 in the bank. So how are we doing this? We don't know. We have to find out. And that was the story of the 2019 Formula One season. Okay. So Rich Energy comes in. It's an energy drink company helmed by this uh, boisterous figure, William Story. Uh, can yes. you give us a little a brief summary of like who William Story is and what makes him such a compelling and strange character? So William Story is this this British man who enjoys talking a lot. Um, and <laughs> he... I there's, think, there's no other people like that in Formula One. Interesting no one. fact. <laughs> no one. Um, and I really do think that William Story thinks he is the next mastermind, you know, like the next Elon Musk of energy drinks. Like he's very much, he talks his way through everything. I mean, it's it's very Elon Musk-esque. It's very Donald Trump-esque. Like talks his way through everything, oversells everything, kind of makes you look over here when you should be looking over here. This is who he is. And it makes him a great salesperson. He's a very good salesperson. And so he was able to have these different sports sponsorships and people he worked with because he was so good at selling them on himself and his product, even if he didn't have much of a product to show. And that's kind of how he got in with the Haas F1 team. He was just a very good salesperson, even though there wasn't a lot there. So one of the things uh, that obviously stood out to me as I was reading through the book, you mentioned how <laughs> how um, talkative he is. You yes. had to read through so many <laughs> tweets and <Yeah>. LinkedIn essays <laughs> and emails and PR blather. I was just like... As far as like empty and outlandish statements go, I was stunned by some of these. I was highlighting mm-hmm. them and going that like there are no words here. There's no meaning here. Can you talk about what it was like to navigate, I guess, like as the company was falling apart, you were reporting on this. Yes. Um, and things were being said that were true and not true. Can you talk about what it was like to navigate all of that PR fluff as you were reporting out this story? Well, the interesting thing about William's story is that It's a lot of PR fluff, but the whole time it was him. And it's very easy to see through it when you don't have a professional PR person talking about this stuff. You just have William's story. It's very, very easy to pick up on it. So if you read through the book, there are instances where I just paste entire emails he sent me. And his emails, he writes them in real time. And he writes his real time thoughts. Like this isn't edited. This isn't looked over by anybody When he has a new thought, he makes a paragraph break. Like, that's his punctuation. He doesn't use periods. He makes (laughs) paragraph breaks. Um, And he sends you his real-time thoughts about everything. And so it's very scattered, and it's not always true. But at least you know that it's, like, this man talking. And you can figure out if it's true by doing your own research. And, you know, sometimes it requires digging kind of deep. But it's... It's a lot of fluff, but it's straight from his brain right at that moment. So it's easier to cut through because it's not strategic, (laughs) if that makes sense. It's not strategic at all. Because you're you're getting these emails where he's like giving you a statistic about, uh, say, how many cans of this energy drink were sold in a year. And you, as a reporter, can look at the court transcript from the mm-hmm. case that he was, you know, mm-hmm. in literally the week before and go like, those are those are different numbers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it was, yeah, I, you're, you you cite the, and like, I'm, I'm very impressed, like you cite exactly what happened. So 
the first time I talked to William Story, we were on the phone and he said, we've now sold in excess of 100 million cans. A couple months later, these court transcripts became public. And in court, he said, we've sold 90 million cans. And hmm. the judge says, no, you haven't. No. Uh -uh. And he goes, well, we've we've made 90 million cans, but we haven't yet filled and sold them. And he's like, I think in 2018, we sold about 3 million cans. And then a week later, he tells me we've sold in excess of 100 million because he didn't expect me to see those court transcripts. He is mm -hmm. thinking on the mm -hmm. fly and he is going, I can tell her something and she won't connect the dots from this other thing that I was in and it'll be fine. Of course, I connected the dots from the other thing you were in. And then we had a later court case from Red Bull, which cited other data, which was that in the span of two years or so, Rich Energy apparently sold about a thousand cans in the UK oh, for like God. 800 pounds or something like that. And it's like, how much did you actually sell? I don't know. All I know is <laughs> this different, all these different data points are way different from what you're saying. Oh my gosh. So I want to talk a little bit about Formula One as a sport because a lot of your book covers this as well. It's just like, what is it about this sport with where these millionaires, billionaires drive their fast little cars in exotic locations all around the world? What is it about it that makes it so primed for sham sponsors to yeah. either desire to be involved with it or to, as William Story did, like, wedge their way into the sport um, mm -hmm. and become involved? I think that's a great question. I think that's something we see all across motorsport, right? Motorsport is extremely expensive. It costs a lot of money. A lot of the people you see racing, they have some kind of financial backing they came with until mm -hmm. they got whatever sponsor they now have. So like very few of the people out there came without some sort of financial backing. And now, like, maybe your dad's paying for it. So there, there are parts of the book where we have these weird sponsors. There is a sketchy sponsor in the book called Zloop, and it is this man <laughs> using this, like, e-waste recycling firm that's actually fraud to pay for his son's racing career. So sometimes it's fraud and paying for your son's oh racing God. career. It's sometimes beautiful. It's <laughs> um, Daddy's money can be fake too. Daddy's sure. money can be fake too. That's the moral of the story. Um, yeah. There's actually a quote in about this specific sponsor, the man who ran it, the father he sent an email to someone that said, I pay $5 million a year so my son can play race car driver. And it's like, ouch, yeah. ooh, ow. Um, <laughs> motorsport is very, very prone to weird sponsorships and sketchy sponsorships because of the fact that it costs so much. And these teams, if they are struggling for cash or need cash, they're just like, okay, you have money. Maybe it's a giant credit line, but like, oh, well, it'll probably work out. Um, and they'll just take it. And it's weird. The thing that's the wildest thing is that Haas didn't really need money. Haas is owned by Gene Haas, who is very, 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 very rich and who funds the team mostly himself through his company, Haas Automation. Mm -hmm. I think he really just wanted to kind of subsidize it a little bit. And he thought he could do that with this sponsorship. And mm -hmm. that seems to be the most likely case. I have... I I, I just wanted to ask a follow-up on that real quick. Mm -hmm. um, 
so I mean, this this whole story is 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 amazing, and and like Simone said, it hits so many levels uh, for us as a show. But I was just kind of curious, like given all the things that um, make uh, you know Formula One so prime, and motorsport in general so prime for these sort of scams. This still kind of struck me as surprising that this happened. Like, are mm-hmm. you are you in any way like this was still sort of unprecedented? And how far it went, um, and and even in sport in general, like I, I was thinking about the the thirty for thirty about the New York Islanders, uh, about mm-hmm. the guy who almost came very very close, like this broke guy to buying the Islanders. It, it, it's a great for thirty for thirty. Are you surprised that there haven't been more of these sorts of scams and and these things? Like you know, obviously, I wouldn't expect them to be as many things to be as audacious as this. But given just the uh, amount of money that's required and, and how prime this is for charlatans of all types, are you surprised that we haven't seen more of this sort of thing in motorsport? Well, so I actually think I think we see a decent amount of it. But okay. motorsport is very, very good at just kind of like pushing it aside and moving on. Um, gotcha. What's Ooh. wild is, I mean, we're seeing the FTX scandal right now. Right. Everything's yes, going I on with that. Just, yep. Go on. I, I, yeah, I was going to say, I just bought a yes. bobblehead uh, two days ago. <laughs> that they gave out of the Warriors game. Oh, my goodness. FTX was a sponsor of the Mercedes yeah. Formula One team. They took the logos off the car right away. They're gone. They were gone that weekend, right? Sure. And we're going to forget about But they actually got that. the money. But they yes. actually got the money. That, 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 that's what I mean is different, right? Like, like they actually mm-hmm. got the money. That, that I think, is, is what makes this so interesting is that they didn't get the money, right? Like Yes. They got a little bit of the money, it's just a little bit of the money, and they got about $6 million for a $60 million deal across three years. They got about $6 million. And Gene Haas admitted that on Netflix. He said, yeah, we, we didn't get all the money. And that's bad. <laughs> that's not it's good. Bad. And yeah, and we've had like so in the book we cover a few of the times this happened in Formula 1 where people just disappeared sometimes like over mm. the course of Formula 1's history. They would promise this money and when the money dried up, they would disappear. They were gone. They would move to another country, they would go undercover, they would do all <laughs> kinds of stuff to avoid paying these bills. That is less common I think now just because it's a lot easier to be shamed and it's a lot harder mm-hmm. to recover from that kind of thing. Right. Now. So there was there was a Formula One team, um, Andrea Moda Formula, and it was a disaster, right? It fell apart immediately. But the guy who ran it was able to go over to a different racing series and do stuff oh. over there because oh. it's not all over Twitter. It's not everywhere like things are today. And so I think it's a little harder today to just be a complete public disaster. But we have had these cases in Formula One over the years where there are these disasters and the people just leave. They're just gone and they leave the team just completely dry, no money, and the team shuts down. It happens so many times. And that's actually why we do a chapter in the book. The third chapter is about scammy sponsors in Formula mm-hmm. One and other forms of motorsports. And one of my friends who doesn't know anything about Formula One or cars, he read the book and he said, when I started the chapter, I thought it was anime filler. And then I started <laughs> reading it. He thought it was anime filler. And then mm-hmm. he was like, I started reading it and I realized, oh no, like this is really relevant. This is other times that this has happened. It's the core, the rotten core of the apple. It's the this rotten is, core. 
So something I was thinking about, especially when you announced this book, is, in all respect to you, Simone, but uh, <laughs> it seems like there's a commonality with the auto industry, like mm-hmm. the video game industry, where so much of the press is set up for enthusiast coverage. Yes. You know, hype this product, mm-hmm. put this mm-hmm. out, let's cover this. I mean... You know, it's not to say there's anything malicious about it. I mean, you go into these fields because you love this stuff, but the readers kind of want one part of coverage. And Mm -hmm. when you announced your book, my first thought was, whoa, this is like an investigative work. And I just Mm -hmm. wanted to ask you, like, structurally, you've worked at so many of these different, uh, you know, journalistic enterprises. To what extent is there a functional, like, investigative um, journalistic apparatus to kind of look into scandals like this and report on this? Because I don't know who would uncover this stuff if it's not the the automotive press. Well, you're right. That's very, very hard. And it's hard to do within an industry. And it's it's more rare because the thing about sports and mm-hmm. automotive and even like tech and product to a degree is that you need access to do a lot of the stuff you do. And I've been mm-hmm. in a really interesting position my entire career where take it or leave it, like yeah. access or no access, whatever. I'll just do what I do over here. And so, yes, you do burn bridges by looking into this stuff and doing this stuff. Elizabeth actually mentioned we had an interview earlier this week And she said the Haas F1 team wouldn't work with me on another cool project that I got assigned. It was like a profile. And it was a positive project. But Haas said we won't work with her because she's writing this book about us. And sometimes that happens. And, you know, it is what it is. I think in order to report fairly on things, you have to know when it's worth burning that bridge and when you want to do that. Because – Yeah, you know, like if you do a deep dive on a smaller company, maybe something like that, you can completely lose access to those cars or those drivers or that race team or whatever. And that was a risk we took with Haas. And yeah, generally Haas doesn't want to work with us. But, you know, in like 10 years, they'll have new people. None of them will care. It's whatever. Um, (laughs) You know, these things happen. But you're right. I mean, in enthusiast industries, it is very, very hard to challenge this stuff and do this reporting. And there's also the element of in enthusiast industries, you often have reviewers and writers, mm. like news writers. You, It's harder to find trained investigative journalists. And that's often what I bring to my jobs that I'm in at enthusiast publications. They're like, oh, we need investigative journalists, journalism. Let's ask Alanis what to do because, like, I know how to go through the court documents on Pacer. Mm -hmm. I know how to look people up and do Mm -hmm. the company Mm -hmm. searches and, like, get everybody. Like, I know how to use LexisNexis. I will call them. I will do whatever. Like, I will look someone up on LexisNexis and I will call them. Yep. Yeah. But that's a skill that people who do more either enthusiast or, let's be honest, like trade publications, you're not really trained to do that. That's not a comfortable thing. It's not comfortable to go through a company's LinkedIn and mm-hmm. send dozens and dozens of messages yep. to people yep. and, and spam <laughs> them in their email or to find their yep. name also on LexisNexis and be like, hi. I know this is your phone number. Mm-hmm. I'm calling from so and so, and they're like, "Wait, what?" Like, yeah, and they're like, <sighs> "Yep, 
Yep. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. And, you know, when we did this book, we also wanted to be, we also understood that the book itself was an outside project. You know, it was our project. And we had to weigh the journalistic approach to it to not getting people in trouble. So in the book, we will no- we do note the fact that everyone we talk to is a former employee, not a current employee. Mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. is because we did not reach out to current employees for this mm. book. We did not reach out to them. Because if I sent them a message on their LinkedIn and they were logged in on their work computer yep. and they were being watched because, like, mm-hmm. obviously – Haas, the Haas Formula One team is a small company. They know that we're writing a book about him. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get these people in trouble simply by reaching out. So reached out to former employees, did not reach out to current employees because I did not want to risk their job. And that's another concern that you have to take when you are, you know, chasing this kind of stuff. Who do I reach out to? What is my risk tolerance? What is my risk tolerance for them? Things like that. And that was something that we really had to do. I think one of the things that struck me, speaking of enthusiast coverage, uh, one of the primary ways that a lot of people are getting into Formula One right now is Drive to Survive, uh, which is why I'm here. I watched that. And (laughs) obviously, having now read your book, what struck me is how much more to the story there is than... How how much Drive to Survive was either able to or wanted to devote to it. I think mm-hmm. it was it was kind of a blip in the radar on the I believe first season of mm-hmm. the show. Um, I wanted to talk to you. Just I just wanted to ask, what do you make of the handling of the of the Rich Energy story on Drive to Survive? And um, like, did you feel you you clearly didn't feel scooped in any way when that <laughs> yeah. when that show came out? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, it was it is very interesting to watch because I I can watch that episode back. Uh it's season 2, episode 2. It's called Boiling Point and it's very aptly titled because um it is a it is a boiling point. Um and I, you know, when I watch it, I've watched it several times because it is referenced in the book. We quote mm-hmm. the the episode in the book. I watch it and I think, wow, y'all had so much access to this They had drama. William's story. <laughs> yeah, y'all had so much access to this drama. Yep. You had microphones in the room. Everywhere. You were team, and everywhere. And, and it's Formula One, which is already a sport that records everything anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's the one sport where there are literally cameras going on every place. I mean, like, I, I'll be honest, I didn't get into Formula One until I saw the documentary Senna. And then Mm -hmm. that was like what did it for me. And I was like, oh, a sport that captures everything. So, yeah, not only do you have the crew there, but like it's Mm -hmm. it's only the most documented type of sport you can have. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go on. No, no, I love that. Yeah. And I mean, it's true. And they had so much access while making this and so much access to all these fights and this drama in this team. Access that Elizabeth and I didn't have. And I think – Elizabeth and I actually approached it from a very interesting standpoint, which is we do not go to every single race. We go to one race a year. You know, we are not embedded in Formula One. We are people who cover Formula One, but not every weekend at the racetrack. And Mm -hmm. Drive to Survive had so much access. And I think they paid much more attention to Rich Energy as a sponsor than any other sponsor on the show. Mm-hmm. But they also wanted to center their drivers and stuff like that because ultimately, Rich Energy is not going to be around more than like six months in Formula One, whereas these right. drivers and this team principal and all of this, 
they will still be here after this. And it was really interesting to watch when it first came out because I was actively covering the story when it first came mm-hmm. out because the story was kind of still ongoing and to see the stuff that was left out and the stuff that was focused on. And mm. it was like, mm-hmm. there is a mm. lot more to the story than was included in this episode. But I also understood why they didn't include as much because they were trying to focus on the team. But yeah. I really enjoyed that episode because that episode shows all of the infighting that this team had. Like, it was a high-stress environment. (laughs) And in the book, I, you know, I had an interview with one of the drivers uh, in, like, early this year. It was one of the final parts of the book that I did. And one Mm -hmm. of the drivers during the Rich Energy era was Roman Grosjean. And it was really interesting to interview him because Roman and I have a very, like, neutral relationship. It's not like, oh, she's the rich energy lady. I'm I'm the lady who told Roman Grosjean to do a cartwheel one time, and now he does cartwheels all over the internet, like, on TikTok Aww. and Instagram and everywhere. And so, like, we – it's not an antagonistic relationship at all mm-hmm. because, like, I think what a lot of people don't understand is when you're reporting on something, you are not their enemy. You're just – reporting on something as Mm -hmm. it happened. Mm -hmm. And so I talked to Roman and he was very honest. He, he was like, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I didn't even look him up. I, I didn't look into it at all because you know what? I'm in the car, wherever the money comes from, it comes from, I'm going to drive the car. And I think everybody made too big of a deal about it, if I'm honest. And he, he basically said, I didn't know much about it. I have some in my fridge because there weren't a lot of them. Um, Wait, he has them? <laughs> yeah, he has a few cans, he told me. Um, he has a few cans. And he was like, yeah, all I know is that they there was some weird stuff, but apparently Haas got paid. And I was like, they, well, they didn't get paid very much, but yeah, they got paid. Um, and <laughs> define, yeah, paid. <laughs> <laughs> define paid. Um, but it was really interesting to talk to him about it because he said, he was like, that was a really bad year. Like, We were terrible. The car was terrible. And added to this rich energy drama was the fact that Haas's car was so unbelievably bad, it couldn't do anything. And Mm -hmm. Roman was like, yeah, the car was really bad and nothing we could do would fix it. And that sucks. You know, that's not fun. And so you have your own title sponsor is being extremely embarrassing publicly, getting sued from every direction. And your car doesn't work. And all of it's bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I have one more for me. And then I know Brianna has a final question for you. <laughs> I, do. So I just wanted to ask. I, I think as we, we continue to cover scams on this show, we've talked about Anna Delvey. Uh, we talked about Elizabeth um, Holmes and Theranos. Mm-hmm. It kind of seems like the common thread with a lot of these stories is like, if it had worked, everything yes. would be fine. It, mm-hmm. What do you feel about the concept of fake it till you make it? And like, is there a world in which William's story does make everyone believe that rich energy is super sexy and we should buy mm-hmm. crates of it on Amazon? <laughs> well, so here's the thing. I, like I said earlier, I think William's story fully believes in the existence and the product that he's selling. And I think he mm-hmm. fully believes in himself. I don't think he thinks he's lying to the world. He thinks he's the next big thing and he is going to take on Red Bull. That's why he sponsored a Formula One team because Red Bull had a Formula One team and we're going to compete with them. 
I think he's sold on himself. He Hmm. does not need any convincing about himself. And if it had worked, it would have looked genius because you know what? If you take this tiny little company where nothing is going on and let's say you somehow get the money to sponsor a Formula One team, whether you dug it up from a hole or you got a credit line or whatever, you sponsor this Formula One team, you make up that deficit because you sell a bunch of drinks because your drink can looks cool. And there's no denying the fact that Rich Energy looks cool and it tastes fine. I've had it before. It's it's a better <laughs> tasting energy drink than a lot of energy drinks. Like it tastes fine. It looks good. And you know what? If he had sold enough cans and made enough money and become famous enough to make up whatever deficit from that sponsorship was, fake it till you make it. It looks genius. His dying blow in Formula One was the fact that he could not shut up. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't stop talking. It was embarrassing. He, he Exactly. He wouldn't stop fighting with people. He was embarrassing. And when you center yourself and you make yourself the story and you don't know how to fully behave on the world stage, everything kind of falls apart. And, you know, it, I think it could have worked. I think it could have worked well. And I think that that energy drink could have been successful, but William Story couldn't step back enough and handle it professionally enough to stay afloat in Formula One. Mm-hmm. That seems like that ties to other subjects we've had today <laughs> on Rocket to talk about. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I really think if he hadn't been so convinced to be the savior, he could have done it. I really think he mm-hmm. could have. He was a great salesperson, and everyone we talked to said that. They were like, yeah, he could sell you anything. And then you see the actual company, and you're like, oh, mm, there aren't that many people here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so final question. Uh, mm-hmm. You have been showing off on Twitter all week about driving around <laughs> oh, yeah. town, driving to Chili's in your Lamborghini Huracan, yeah. which is a car I want desperately. Everyone <laughs> loves the Aventador. I think the Huracan is the better looking car. <laughs> so I want to know, assuming that you've driven top tier Porsches, is the Lamborghini Huracan that much better? Hold your answer though until the rocket booster segment. So. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, Alanis, uh, where can people find you online if they want to see your beautiful car? Uh, And where can they purchase your book? Oh, my goodness. That is so kind of you to ask. So online, I am Alanis N. King, A-L-A-N-I-S, middle initial N, (laughs) K-I-N-G. That's Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. The book is Racing with Rich Energy. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it from McFarland, which is our publisher. If you're international or in the U.S. or you're looking for audio formats or electronic formats, we actually have a website page that shows every single place you can get it depending on your location. Oh. It's just richenergybook.com slash how-to-order. And there's everything. It's like U.S. international electronic copies, audiobooks. Audiobook is upcoming, but if you really want to read it now and you need the accessibility, Kindle has text to speech. So all of that is on that web page. Because it's it's not on Audible yet. I was mm-hmm. going to say, you should get Simone to narrate your no. audiobook. She would do it for free. <laughs> you should. Oh, she, oh my God. 
Well, so, you know, I like I know some voice actors and I know some people who do narration and I was like, oh, yeah, I could give them some names. The publisher already took it and they took it to another company and they found the people already and they're already working on it. They sent us an email. Yeah, they sent us an email the other day and they were like, yeah, they're already working on it. And I was like, "Okay, I guess we have a narrator. Did you get to audition? (laughs) You didn't get to audition voice actors? No, oh, no. All the romance novelists I know are like, they send me these samples and then I have to listen to people read my slut <gasps> and it's terrible. Okay. I guess oh that wouldn't God, be a problem with this book, but. <laughs> okay, but I love, I love when they do that because like I, so I'm like weirdly ah. in, I'm like weirdly in a couple of voice actor circles because I'm a huge yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh fan. And so I'm friends oh with all the. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I'm friends with all of the Yu-Gi-Oh! people. I love them. Like, they're amazing. And Yu-Gi-Oh! people, most of the time, there's overlap with Pokemon. And so everybody's a voice actor for everything. And Mm -hmm. so I'm, like, weirdly in the voice actor circles. Like, sometimes I'll go to, like, voice actor dinner parties and stuff. (gasps) And they'll talk about, like, the romance novels they read. And it's so fun. I love listening to it. And they're all so talented. And I just uh, adore all of them. That's wonderful. You have no idea how much I loved Yu-Gi-Oh growing up um and still love. do deep in my heart. Uh, <laughs> I love I love Yu-Gi-Oh. There is a movie they recently came out with a movie in 2016 that is from the original Yu-Gi-Oh series and it is my favorite movie in the world. It's called Dark Side oh. of Dimensions. Um I love it. So <laughs> This sounds like a good conversation to continue in our bonus segment. So if you are a boosty, a rocket booster subscriber, uh stay tuned at the end of the show and you can hear the rest of that talk. Thank you so much, Alanis, for coming on with us and talking about your wonderful book, Racing with Rich Energy. And we'll see you again in the bonus segment. Okay, so what are we up to this week? Uh, Christina, why don't you start us off? What are you up to this week? Okay, so I'm still in Taylor Swift Ticketmaster hell. Yes. Um, So I have successfully obtained tickets to the Taylor Swift concerts in uh, uh, one of the ones in New York or New Jersey, but whatever, MetLife. I got tickets for that. And thanks to Simone, I got tickets (laughs) to the Seattle show. I appreciate you, Simone, through the Capital One presale. No thanks to my father. My father, who (laughs) had his phone on. I'm your father now. (laughs) You are. I'm going to call you daddy. Um, And... uh, (laughs) We Daddy should call Simone. our podcast that. Oh my god, we should. I, I bet it'd be a hit. It's never been done before. We Go might on. be able to make might be able to make like fifty million dollars off of it. It'd be fantastic, and then um, disappear. <laughs> only Sorry, one of them on. did. The, the other one, yeah, she's doing enough. great. Yeah, she's doing fantastic. Okay, so uh, I was trying to buy tickets to the Atlanta show. I got in. I was the whole process has been a ridiculous mess because Ticketmaster is awful. Even AOC is is getting involved because she didn't get tickets, and. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I go, you had to, the first day it was just verified fans. I was able to get my tickets that way. The second day it was capital one. You had to have a capital one card, which I don't have because I don't like their credit cards. And, um, you had to use it to buy. I, I put in the number I'm buying and then they're like, oh, we just sent your phone number, uh, a text code, please enter this in. And I'm like, shoot, calling my dad. No answer. Calling, 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 texting, 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 calling my mom. She's out of the house. She's not answering. I finally get through to her. She can't get through to him. Time has run out. Tickets are gone. Oh, Um, no. And so I'm going, I I was, thanks to Simone, thank you, Simone, able to um, get tickets to the Seattle show. But I really want to take my mom to see Taylor Swift. 
And I really am now facing the fact that I'm probably going to have to pay on StubHub, which I don't want to do. So what I'm doing this week is summoning up all of my like uh, GPU and video game um, and sneaker uh, energy into getting two tickets that are decent in Atlanta uh, during the general sale on Friday morning. That's that's what I'm doing this week. I wish you luck. That uh, I've spent I've spent like rough, buddy. <laughs> I've spent six hours this week so far trying to get Taylor Swift tickets. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a bloodbath out it there. Has. Um, yeah, I'm. Thank. I, I, I'm I so really happy that you stole my identity. Christina today. could just back up the Brinks truck and, like, you know, it's like you're in the alley and you're like, all right, here you go. Just open up the suitcase. I mean, I, I'm money. going to have to. But th- but have you guys seen what some of the people? Okay, this is where it's insane. People on oh. StubHub are trying to sell tickets for like twenty thousand dollars a piece. Which, first of all, seriously, you're gonna have to believe this, Simone. But go f- yourself, right? <laughs> Second of all, that's not even the real price. That's the StubHub price. And then StubHub adds like another 50% or 60% of fees on top of that. So those are not going to sell clearly at those prices. Everyone is going to have to uh, uh, come down to earth because there are going to be 5 million tickets for sale because uh, she has 57 yeah, like, shows. If somebody can pay $20,000 for a Taylor Swift show, like they probably had other options, right? I, I like, don't think so. I, 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 I don't know. It, it, I don't know. No, no you're, you're, you're not wrong. I'm, I'm also looking at other options that I have not completely like given up on. But yes, yeah. there's anyway. So uh, I agree with you. But no, the, 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 the prices are insane. But unlike Adele, I'm not going to be like I will pay above like list, but I'm not going to to go in into the ridiculous yeah. nature of these things. <sighs> I hope you get those tickets for your mom. Thank Brianna, you. Brianna, what are you yes. up to this week? I'm going to go quick. Uh, I am very, I am talking in the Warnock campaign, trying to figure out if I'm going to spend the rest of the year in Georgia oh. or if I'm going to run a uh, operation from Boston. So oh. that's, uh, that's what I'm trying to figure out right Jeez. now. Yeah. You've been working runoffs. Um, I am streaming tomorrow. Oh my gosh. Woo! I don't know if I told you guys this. Uh, what? What? We have uh, GameStop has sponsored us. Really? Uh, I'm building live on stream a gaming PC. They're letting me build no! it. No. Yeah. Hell and we, yes. we got good stuff. We got Simone, good stuff in it. Um, send me the link so I can watch you do this. Yeah, so I will. It'll be at twitch.tv slash polygon. I will try to remember to drop it in WhatsApp tomorrow. Um, oh so essentially th- somehow we got this sponsored where like I'm building an F1 gaming rig. We're building it tomorrow. And then two weeks from now I'm streaming, like using it. So tomorrow we're just trying to get this freaking thing built and like turn on a monitor. That's all it's going to be. Um, <laughs> and you both know how wrong that could go, um, yep. building a PC, but it's going to be really fun. Um, and oh, I, wow. I'm genuinely psyched about it. So yeah. You know, if you could get you and Henry Cavill to come by, that would really. In just retrospect, be the I'm ultimate. so upset yeah. that we didn't use some of our sponsorship money to pay Henry Cavill to build a yeah. PC with me, Honestly. and I have a lot of regrets. I wasn't yeah. thinking clearly. That would be a good romance novel. It would. Oh my god, <laughs> Simone. See, the, the, like Daria I don't want to be predatory to him. Out. He feels so self conscious about how beautiful he is. Okay, okay so, that's so fair. okay, fair enough. One one of the hosts here has already sexually harassed um uh like a a a Marvel person. So we we shouldn't have two of us do it. Which one of us is that? <laughs> Oh, I sexually harassed Olivia Wilde during a press. See, uh, you've d- got during a, a drink you thing. Can't <laughs> say 
one of the people in this well, room. I thought it what was, was obvious center? that it was me. I thought it was obvious that it was me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your honesty, your radical honesty. I would let you build a PC with Henry Cavill, but I would warn him first. Um Oh yeah, I would okay. warn him as well. I would also Christina's warn him. Christina's on a list. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's get out of here. Christina, where can we find you online so we can prosecute you for your crimes? You can find me at film underscore girl on Twitter and Instagram. I'm apparently on some Mastodon instances, but frankly, I can't be bothered to get them imported right now. So whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm on some Mastodon things, apparently. Uh, but I'm film underscore girl on, on, on Twitter, uh, and Instagram, and you can find my videos at work where I do not sexually harass anyone. I might add, nope. but you make very good content at uh, youtube.com slash GitHub. And Brianna. Brianna, we're on Twitter till, till Lord Elna shuts till it down. So we go down with the ship. <laughs> I'm Doom Quasar on Twitter and everywhere else. You can watch the stream tomorrow at twitch.tv slash polygon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Rocket. If you liked it, I hope that you will uh, leave a review. And even more, if you really, really liked it, I hope you will consider becoming a boostie and subscribing to support our show and everything we do. When you do that, you get an ad-free version of the episode. Um, and you also get a bonus segment, a Rocket booster it it can be anywhere honestly we we started off we we're like and we'll just do like a nice little 10 minute bonus show i feel like every time we've gone to like half an hour or 40 minutes <laughs> it's like you're getting a whole other we can't episode of rocket up. Yeah. it's basically it's an episode of rocket but it's fun no i mean our show is fun but it's always something that is like more tangential to i don't know our scam town stuff uh, extra conversations with guests that we have on the show. We've had some great ones. The um, pinball guy was so fun to talk to. We talked about yeah. horror movies in that bonus segment. And today we are, of course, going to talk to Alanis King about cars. And it rules. So please do good. consider uh, going to relay.fm slash membership and checking that out. Anything else to add before we wrap up for the night? I think it's been a long show. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Rockets. Uh, it is... Terminated. 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 <laughs>